Hello and a fabulously warm welcome to Teresa, who is joining us from Texas right now. And I'm going to give you a little background story on Teresa in a moment, but please, a huge welcome to Bitcoin people, Teresa. Thank you. Um, it's gorgeous to have you here. The way that we met was I'd been in contact. I'd reached out to meet with Robert Breedler and you have been looking after his events and indeed his schedule. And so we were in contact over there. And then separately from that, is this, is this how you recall the story? I reached mm -hmm. out to you on Twitter and mm -hmm. I didn't realize you were you because of course you're under a pseudonym over in Twitter. And I just reached right. out randomly and I went, hey, want to be on Bitcoin people? And you said, yes, by the way, it's Teresa. I'm the person you've been dealing with and emailing back and forth about Robert. Right. That, your... that is correct. What happened? Mm -hmm. That okay. is. That was, that was a, a strange coincidence, but yes. It was a lovely coincidence. And I'm so thrilled to meet you in person because you can only get so much of a feel for a person via email. Right. And um, it's just lovely to put a face to the name. Yeah. You were just telling me before a little bit about the story of how you ended up working with Robert. And I think that opens up a whole sense of background about your working life and in fact, some of your life outside of work. So I'd love you just to maybe give us an update on that story and let's start exploring from there. Sure. Yeah, well, I've been um, exploring Bit Bitcoin for about two years now. And as part of that, I've been watching YouTube videos as are you know most people. And one of the videos I was watching, one of the people I was watching was Mark Moss. Well, I realized from watching the video that my husband knew Mark Moss because they kind of travel in the same circles because they're both in racing. So my husband off-road races and then Mark is involved in the off-road racing and motorcycle racing. And so there was a connection there. And I said, oh, well, maybe I'll reach out to Mark because he just mentioned that he's going to be having an event. And I've been planning events and in that industry for 25 years. So I'm like, well, you know what? You know, we have a connection. At least it'll get my foot in the door and see if anything happens. So I reached out to Mark and he said, absolutely. We're just starting to plan this event and we need help. We'd love to have you on board. So I started working with Mark about two years ago and the first event I was helping him with his speakers and some other things and Robert Breedlove was one of his speakers. So I met Robert, started working with Robert on that event. And then about a year later, Robert was on the next event with Mark Moss that I was on again. And he was just talking about the fact that he had just lost his assistant and he was feeling overwhelmed because he had so many things on his plate and he's growing so rapidly. And I said, well, I'd be happy to help you. Um, and he's like, well, no, I don't think so. You're not an assistant. You, you know, run events and you do other things. And I said, you know what? I would be happy to help you kind of get, you know, caught up again in a, in a spot where you feel like you can handle everything. And then what I'd like to do is help you in other ways to help you grow market, expand your audience, expand your reach and all of that. So we started working together probably about eight months ago now. Fantastic. Um, I've actually noticed he's got a lot of shorts coming out on YouTube at the moment. Were you, did you have a hand in making that happen? I didn't have a hand in that. Um, he's been working with a couple of people and bringing on more team members. Um, right. So I'm involved in just kind of helping him expand everything, but that was not me. <laughs> right. Okay. Got it. So it brings out a number of factors. So you've been in event management, clearly for 
a couple of decades now, more than. Uh, how did you get into that just out of interest? Was it a passion to begin with or did you fall into it? How did that? No, I fell into it. I was, uh, I had a job out of college. Um, my degree is in marketing and education. So I was doing some marketing for a company and they actually, it was during the time when Desert Storm happened, which I don't know if anyone remembers that. Uh, um, yeah, I'm, but I'm you're right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and a lot of people, and they were probably a, a mid-sized company. They were affected by that. And so they had to let me go. Um, and I was literally just looking through the paper. Yes. We looked at the paper back in those days, not online. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking through the paper and circling things and saw an, an ad for traveling and event planning and, you know, kind of, you know, uh, taking groups around the world and just helping do different types of events in different countries and cities and states. And I said, huh, that sounds fun. So I reached out, uh, sent in my information. And I think a month later I was hired and 25 years later, I'm still here, but instead of working for someone else, I work for myself. Good for you. Um, and I've got in terms of at least that transition from working for someone else to working for myself in an industry that I love over a number of decades that much. Mm -hmm certainly got in common. Uh, I need to know a little bit about the racing because you also were crew chief for your husband in that yes. off-road racing. I have to know, I need to know what he drives. I'm also really interested to know what Mark Moss rides, what kind of motorbike he's got because I'm a motorcyclist, my husband's a motorcyclist, that's how we met. We're both devotees of uh, the Dakar. So yeah. um, just tell me about the, the off-road racing for a minute. Yeah. So I actually, I met my husband on an event. Um, one of my clients was Toyota and he started working for Toyota. And so we met on an event and his role at Toyota was uh, doing a lot of um, driver training and vehicle testing and evaluation. One of those areas was in the off-road arena. So he ended up being Toyota's like number one, you know, off-road test driver uh, for the company. And to make a long story very short, he ended up having a health incident where he ended up having cancer, went through treatment, Hodgkin's lymphoma went through treatment. And at the end, everything was great. And he was declared cancer free. And he decided, you know what? Life is short. I want to race and I want to race off-road, meaning down in Baja. And so he he decided to quit Toyota and go out on his own and try to race. And it was funny because uh, the place that treated him, which was the Cancer Treatment Centers of America, actually sponsored him racing. And then he went to Lexus, the sister company of Toyota, obviously, they're, they're all one company. And they decided to give him a vehicle, an LX570. And so we were off and running and he started uh, racing down in Baja and he raced the Baja 500 and won his first race. And from there went on for five years of racing um, and had multiple podiums and championships and kind of got to the point where Alexis is like, well, you've won everything. We don't really have anything else to do. So they ended the program because they were just going in a different direction for marketing. But I ran the, uh, the whole team. I was the crew chief. So that was a lot of fun. Oh, that sounds great. <laughs> what a fabulous <laughs> period in your life. That sounds just tremendous. Um, yeah. I've got to know, what does Mark Moss ride? What Do you know his bike? Uh, I believe it's a 450, a dirt bike. Mm -hmm. 
Right. Okay. Yeah. Like a I don't GTM? I don't know which I don't know if it's a you know a Honda Kawasaki. I, I don't okay. know like the brand, but I just know because he does a lot of rides down in Baja. Mark loves Baja, so he's down there a lot and he does a lot of rides. Oh, this is great. So between your work and between the the racing, you've done a lot of travel then. I've been fortunate to literally travel the world um, almost always on someone else's dime. So I, you know, once you start doing that, it's hard to stop. So I love traveling. Our son has a travel bug. He loves traveling. So whenever <laughs> I can get out somewhere, I'm I'm always, I'm in. <laughs> That's awesome. So lockdown would have been hard on you. Yeah, wasn't happy about that. <laughs> no, 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 no. You, let's go down that track um, sooner than later because I think there's a lot to explore in this space. Mm -hmm. I asked you in our pre-questionnaire about your values and you said integrity and honour mm -hmm. had always been uh, yes. near the top of your list. And then you went on to say, and freedom has jumped up there. Mm -hmm. Now, right. I'm interested in that uh, at many, many levels. But one of them is that freedom for me has always been of high value. I would say it's always been in my top two, mm -hmm. uh, which is interesting. Uh, whereas, and, and I think a lot of people still don't value it. A lot of people were perfectly comfortable with what happened. Right. with the lockdowns and mm -hmm. the measures that were used and I would argue here in Melbourne, Australia, excessively heavy-handed measures yes. for mm -hmm. the size of the problem. It seemed a disproportionate response. Yes. So my question to you is, um, was it always a value but you hadn't, you weren't particularly conscious of it? because you were always traveling, it was always kind of there and it was just assumed. Yes. Is that kind of what happened for yeah. you? Yeah. yeah, I would say that's exactly that's exactly right because it was just always had freedom, freedom to go where I wanted and do what I wanted and work where I wanted and say what I wanted and you know all of that. And it was just there, it was just assumed. And then all of a sudden when the lockdowns happen and all of this, you know, you must do this and you can't do that. And, you know, we're gonna tell you, you know, what you can say and what you can, you know, basically question what you can't question. Yeah. Um, then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, now someone's stepping on my freedoms, which I always basically took for granted. But when someone tries to take them away, it's a different story. So yeah. that's why I rose to the top so quickly, because especially having a son, I'm like, I am not living in a world where, you know, he doesn't have the same freedoms that I did. Yeah, uh, and that's literally your Twitter handle, if you're happy for me to reveal. Yes, yes. Yeah, is, is for my son. Yeah, is yeah. that's the kind of the point of the exercise. And I certainly right. think there's a number of us who feel incredibly strongly about what this could potentially mean for the next generation. Yes. Um, because it sets a precedent and it's been an extension of powers that are never been reined back in. Mm -hmm. uh, Okay, so um, you were already watching Mark Moss. You were already into Bitcoin before you met, before you met Robert, before the lockdowns, before Freedom jumped up the list for you. Correct. Why was that? How had you gotten into Bitcoin? Well, here's an even funnier story. Um, I was actually driving from 
I remember correctly, I was driving from Arizona to Wyoming um, and we were just, my husband and I were listening to podcasts and we'd always been listening to Jordan Peterson and Jordan Peterson was interviewing Robert and they were talking oh, about yes. Jordan Peterson was trying to find out about Bitcoin. And so there was someone else on the call on the interview with Robert. And I, I can't remember who that was at, at right now, but Jordan was interviewing Robert. And so it piqued my interest because I'm like, what is Bitcoin? And, you know, I've always been weirdly a, a math person, a numbers person, finances. It's like, so I'm like, I'm going to look into that. So that's actually what piqued my interest, which is hysterical because full circle. Now I end up working with Robert. So fundamentally, he orange pilled you. He, yeah, he did actually. Mm -hmm. He was your first entry point. Oh, that's, yeah. a, that's a beautiful story. Yeah, and, and I didn't even know who he was at the time. No, that's right. Um, they've got a lovely connection, those two, Jordan and Robert. Yes. And, yes. you know, some of that is to do with their faith. And I know that Robert uh, had, had followed Jordan Peterson's online program about Christianity. Right. And I know that that kind of really re-engaged him mm -hmm. with Christianity. Um, and I, I don't know how that kind of plays out in his life these days, but it's an important part of your life as well from my, what I understand. Is that fair to say, or if I misread something? Then? Nope, nope, yeah? you are okay. you are spot on with that. Yeah, that's very important to me, you know, my faith and, you know, sharing that with my son and my family and, you know, having it be a part of my life and the freedom to, you know, follow, you know, my faith in whatever fashion I choose. So that freedom to believe, to think what you want to believe, uh, sorry, to think what you want to think, to believe what you want to believe is part of the freedom story for you. Yes. Yeah. And this was one of the things that I, that did my head in early on. I was in shock. I was in such misunderstanding early in the lockdowns because mm -hmm. I didn't understand. I would ask questions because like you, whilst I'm not a maths person, I'm kind of an economics person mm -hmm. and a finance person. In fact, by background, I was in the industry for 10 years and, and I studied economics at uni. And so for me, the natural question was cost benefit analysis. Right. It's fine to do these measures so long as we're obviously, surely it's obvious there right. are costs. Um, uh, you know, so long as we're measuring the costs, I'm comfortable with what's going on. And then I would put the questions out there and I would get piled on. And yes. I've never had that experience. And I was really trying to pose them as questions. Right. Just, just questions, just actually truly curious and like, you know, you know, why is this happening like this? Or why are we doing this? Or what is this? Can someone explain to me? And yeah, you were attacked if you had a question like that. Yeah, really and truly. Did, did you have a similar experience? Like, I see, I wasn't surrounded by anyone in my circle. Uh, that's not quite true. It was more around the edges of my circle who thought and worried about the, the restriction of freedoms the same way that I did. Did you have a community around you who were feeling and thinking and concerned in the same way as you? Were yeah, you I had a, I had a number of right. Yeah, I had a number of them that were, um, you know, my family um, were all kind of on the same page. Um, 
And so we were all kind of questioning right away, um, just the extreme over the top response. Yeah. You know, and, you know, just simple things like, don't you quarantine the sick? Don't you manage the sick? Why? why? Look after the vulnerable. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's like, okay, that part I understand. Why are the rest of us all being quarantined and, you know, stay at home and wear the mask and do, I'm like, I, you know, cause so I wasn't understanding. I'm like that, that doesn't make sense to me and to shut down businesses, which is, you know, obviously affected my business greatly, you Uh, know, and when this all started at the beginning of 2022, I think in February, we had eight books on the events for the year. And within literally two weeks, it all ended all of our business for all of 2020 just went away, you know, and even into the second half of 21. I mean, we had no business. I mean, events, people are traveling, you know, I mean, that's what you do. It's like you go to hotels and you, you know, you're, you're in groups and you're, you know, interacting and all of that. It's like, and all of that was just stopped. So we were, we were hit affected hard by that. Yeah. Uh, And I had a not dissimilar experience. I do corporate training. And so most Mm -hmm. of my, mine is live in offices and we switched to doing it online and still got good results online but you know nowhere near the same and but then we sort of opened up and so we started schedule live again and then we closed down again so we had to reschedule so then we opened up again so we and then we closed down again so we did that six times in Melbourne so that was kind of the end of it for me right it's kind of rebuilding a bit now um but but I think I think what I one of the things that really shocked me in all of that was the degree to which people were happy to throw small business under the bus. That is I that is a mug. Show me that yeah. mug. First of all, cheers. Show me that oh. mug. Cheers. That's enormous. It's like it's the size of a. It, it's a it's a soup bowl. It's more than a soup bowl. It's a big mug. <laughs> it's like coffee for the day. You have to go and reheat it. Like right, see, no refills needed. so i think the degree to which people didn't didn't care about small business didn't understand small business don't understand the economy don't understand when i started to say they're printing they're handing out stimmy checks or the equivalent thereof we called it something different here in australia Mm -hmm. they're printing money to do that that means inflation that means hikes in interest rate to manage the inflation at some future point in time. Yep. Are we comfortable with all of these costs that are going right. to play out over the next couple of years? Right. And everyone just thought I was a fruitcake. What are you carrying on about this inflation business for? Yeah. And here we are, obviously. Here we and, are. Um, and so... And so I think I was a bit surprised how little people understand, A, care about, or B, understand the economy, small businesses, the small businesses' place in the economy. Right. Because it makes up something like, am I right in saying this? It's something like 80% of the U.S. economy. It is. I should say, you know, small business is, is the economy in the U.S. It is. It's like 80%. So yeah. it's insane that people are like, you're going to shut down 80%. And, and and see, these are the things that never made sense to me. It's like, so the small mom and pop hardware store has to close, but Home Depot is okay. Yeah, yeah, that's and I'm right. Like, I'm like, none of this is making sense. I'm like, why can they go into one place and not another? 
why do I need to wear a mask to walk in the door, but I can take it off when I sit down? Why can I, you know, why can I have to be six feet apart from someone, but you put me right next to someone on a plane? Yeah. <laughs> just like, I'm like, none of this is making sense. And I'm like, people, you need to start questioning this. And I'm like, and that's part of where the freedom comes from. Cause I'm like, you know what? I will decide if I want to go into a place and feel safe enough or not. And if I want to wear a mask or not, and it's, it's my, my personal decision on that. It's like, obviously if someone is at risk and they're elderly and they're vulnerable, then those people should be protected and, and have them stay home and do what you need to do. But for like, especially like the kids, you know, my son, you know, he, you know, his two years of college, his first two years of college were spent online. It was awful. I'm like, what is the point? You know, I mean, all these kids, the damage to our children mentally, physically, spiritually yeah. is like, you can't even quantify that. And they just, it's like, oh, they'll be fine. They're resilient. And I'm like, bullshit. Mm. You know, that's, that's an, that's an excuse. And it's awful because you're destroying our children. And so that's part of, again, why my Twitter, you know, Twitter for my son's future. It's like, because I'm not going to stand idly by and let people who don't care about us try to make decisions. And this is the thing that did my head in about it. First of all, some of those contradictions were ridiculous. I'll tell you a couple of them here in Melbourne. You can take your mask off to drink coffee, but not to drink alcohol. <laughs> you can be in the park to walk for an hour, but you can't sit on the bench. Right. It, it The insanity of it, it did my head in. It just did yes. my head in. And again, as a parent, I had very, as a small bit, I mean, I think this is what's going on for us who are small business owners plus parents. And right. that combination, and I have a lot of friends without kids and who are gainfully employed right. in the pharmaceutical yeah. industry. Right, yeah. <laughs> amongst other places and right. didn't lose their jobs and it was just very comfortable for them to go online and to be able to work from home and no biggie uh, yeah. yeah so it just wasn't an issue for them and they couldn't and oh god and the comments I have to say this I'm just on a rant now I'm <laughs> sorry but and then I would see comments in the paper because I still read the paper and the comments in the paper and they would go oh well some of us were just more resilient than others right and, like some of you like weren't affected darling you know, exactly. you were wildly inconvenienced. Right. Other people lost. They sacrificed their businesses, yes. their livelihoods to keep you, um, to keep you feeling safe, even though right. it made you no safer. Um, right. Anyway, I, I'm yes. <laughs> I I'm right there with you. Yeah. Okay. So. So let's talk about, let's segue into freedom and Bitcoin, because there's a number of things here. A, I want to kind of explore the whole thing of orange pilling people who don't value freedom. Mm -hmm. So I want to sort of start there. And then I want to kind of segue into, well, how Bitcoin really does represent freedom and we can kind of combine those as we go but sure. i've got a real thing at the moment about it's all very well to orange pill people who are like-minded who have similar value, values to us who have mm -hmm. perhaps in yours or my case not dissimilar lifestyles even right that's one thing um to then 
convince, persuade, open the minds and hearts of people who work in pharmaceutical, who weren't affected, who thought that the government response was perfectly valid, who still don't, who, for whom the freedom has not shifted as a value. Mm -hmm. It's still assumed that the thing was just a one-off and now we're back to where we always were and what's your problem? Right. Do you have any views on whether it's necessary to orange those, pill those people, how we would go about perhaps talking about freedom with them as being important? Yeah, I think I've pretty much come to the conclusion that until someone is ready to talk yeah. about it or open to talk about it, um, I'd rather spend my time focusing on those people who are and who are interested. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of times people, they're not interested until this lands on your door. So like, for instance, the bank shutdowns, people now it's like, oh my God, I could lose my money. I might not be able to get my money or they shut down the bank over the weekend. And so they start to see real things that affect them because then until it affects them, it's like, well, it's just out there. It, you know, it's just affecting someone else. And like you said, it's like, oh, we're, you know, we're just, I'm just more resilient. You're just, you know, you're just crying about it. You're just complaining. You're just this and that. So until it knocks on their door um, yeah. and they're faced with it, um, some of these people just are never going to be open to it or want to talk about it. And so I just focus and spend my time on those who are open to it and who want to know about it. Um, and again, it's not, as you know, you know, shoving it down someone's throat. I mean, someone will ask about it you know, or I'll hear someone talk about it in a conversation in a coffee shop and I'll just chime in or something, um, talk to my son and his friends about it, you know, cause they, they tend to be a little more open about that. Um, and just say, I always just tell people just, you know, do your own research, you know, here's, here's the facts, here's how this works. People truly, truly do not understand that fiat is theft. They just, they just don't. They don't yeah. understand that, you know, the inflation, it's like, okay, do you understand inflation is stealing your money every single day, mm -hmm. you know, and this is one of the ways to combat that, to have a store of wealth that helps you control your own destiny. It's like, you know, you get to decide what you want to do with it. And you get to decide that, you know, someone from the bank isn't going to shut down your account because all of a sudden you want to go out and buy a gun today. It's like, you know what, it's like until someone really has to face it, I think yeah. I just don't spend my time there. Yeah, uh, and I guess, of course, the concern is that many people won't have to face it until it's too late and CBDCs are already here and by then you can't buy what you want and do what you want when you want. By then, there's right. full control, there's full control, isn't there? Yeah, because so, I get yeah, people who, a lot of times they'll know that, you know, we, that we have Bitcoin, you know, that we're, you know, fans of Bitcoin. And you know, you'll get the comments like, oh, how's that Bitcoin doing, you know, lately? And I just always smile and go, well, how's your, you know, how's your retirement fund and your stocks going? And they just kind of go, oh, and they kind of walk away. It's like, you know, they, they don't think about, you know, where are your investments? It's like, so you think because I'm in Bitcoin, you know, that it's something that's like, and I'm not in the altcoins, you know, I'm in Bitcoin. And so I was just, well, how are your investments doing? And then they just move on to something else. <laughs> <laughs> I um, uh, I saw a little snippet of Jack Mallers on uh, CNBC uh, just mm -hmm. in the last 24 hours doing the, you know, I sleep like a baby at night, <laughs> you know, because I'm in Bitcoin. Right. 
right. and the bank closures don't bother me. So if I was in a coffee shop and uh, and you overhear me go, mm, I'm invested in this and that and I'm talking with my friend, I'm going to get you to do your version of your orange pill here, okay? Um we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna live demo this oh yeah okay. <laughs> are you ready and i've gone oh gee shares seem high risk but i can't get very good interest rates unless i invest for 10 years in in treasuries um i just don't know what to do and the cost of living seems to be out of control and petrol is up and i'm complaining to my friend next to me mm -hmm. and you can't help overhearing show me how you do this. I'm, I'm really keen. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't do it very often to people I don't know, <laughs> but I mean, I would probably just ask if they've, you know, if they've heard of Bitcoin, have you heard of Bitcoin? And, yeah. you know, you know, if so, you know, what do you know about it? You know, cause most people it's like, well, I don't know anything about it. So then I say, well, First of all, you should read a couple of books on Bitcoin, the Bitcoin standard. You should listen to, obviously, Robert Breedlove's his, um, his series with Michael Saylor. Um, do a little research on it because it is just a new form of wealth. And I mean, for lack of a better word, a form of money, you know, because money is just how you transfer something back and forth and pay for and just get the things you want, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like, and, you know, what people don't understand is that one of the comments I get is, oh, oh, I can't afford that. It's like, you know, it's $28,000. So I'm like, okay, you don't have to spend $28,000. You can go in, you can open your account, you, you know, however you want to do that, um, you know, open your, go on an exchange, purchase some Bitcoin. You can spend $10, take it off the exchange, <laughs> obviously the cold storage, take it off the exchange. And then just, you know, like every month put a little bit there. But the difference is that, someone else doesn't have their fingers in your money. So because with the banks, it's like the banks can have, there are, you know, there's always, you know, service fees and transfer fees. And if you drop below a certain amount fees and it's like, and they can see what you're doing and they, they might decide that, Hey, you know what? We don't want you to spend your money there anymore. And so they're going to shut your account off. I mean, I've had people I know who basically they said, you know, we don't really like what you're doing. We're going to shut down your account. I'm like, they can't do that with your Bitcoin account. And you can use it to purchase the things that you want. I mean, you know, I don't, you know, I've got mine and I'm holding on to it and I plan on passing it on to my son, but it is a means of exchange. You can use it at Walmart if you want, and you can, you don't have to buy it through the bank. Some people it's like, well, I don't want, I don't want to buy it through the bank. It's like, you can do peer to peer. There are other options for you to purchase Bitcoin and hold on to it. And you know, just save it for the future is another form of investment and a store of wealth, so to speak, and just add up a, a little bit every day. So you don't have to buy $28,000 worth. And because if you look at how volatile stocks and things are, and even, you know, real estate is up and down and everything is up and down. I'm like, you know, what's not volatile today, you know, and yes, Bitcoin may be included in that category right now because it's still considered fairly new. Yeah. But again, it's like, at least I feel someone else doesn't get to put their fingers in my money and possibly control what I do with that money or shut down my account and I have no access to that money. It's just, they can't do that with Bitcoin. That's right. And I think that's so attractive. Nicely done. Very nice orange pilling technique. I'm liking that. Thank you. <laughs> um, uh, 
I live in hope that someone might be listening to this who has never encountered Bitcoin before, who is brand new to Bitcoin. My hope is always that the conversation I'm having right here and right now might be the first that anybody has ever come across it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I want to dig down a little bit into the volatility issue of uh, currency, of shares, and I want us together to uncover for someone who might be new to this, and I'm always interested regardless in how other people explain this, about why the markets are so volatile right now, why we're seeing bank closures, why banks can freeze our assets and stop us from accessing our own money. Right. Um, so if you were, again, um, if this was someone new to the economy as it currently is, and perhaps introducing some Austrian economics, but even, mm -hmm. you know, without necessarily having to go there, how would you explain this kind of whiplash that we see and with each recession and then bubble and then new recession and new bubble and it, it seems to get more and more extreme and we kind of get used to it and come to expect it and we come to expect inflation and we think it's just the environment we live in and that that's what the economy is that's all we've right. ever known right that surely as it always has been and always will be mm -hmm. How would you explain to someone that that A, hasn't always been the case, B, doesn't have to be the case and is just a function of the fiat standard? Yeah, well, first off, my disclaimer, I'm not an expert in this area, but I can certainly share, you know, what I know and what I've learned uh, from listening to a lot of people who are smarter than me, obviously, you know, you know, Robert and, and Mark and you know, Michael Saylor and, you know, the whole lot of them. Um, and, and really, it's just a matter of, I mean, a, a big part of it is, as they say, you know, the fractional, you know, reserve banking, where in, what people don't understand is when you go and you put your money into the bank, it's technically not your money anymore. You've loaned it to the bank. Mm -hmm. And then what they do is they turn around and you give them a dollar and they go, okay, we're going to hold on to whatever the amount is these days. I don't even know. It's like, we're going to hold on to 10 cents. And we're going to borrow out the other 90 cents and we're going to do it like five times, yeah. you know? And so it's like, you know, they borrow up the money and then it's like, so they're just, they're creating money out of thin air or what they, as you say, call, you know, call money. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, there's, if everyone went to the bank at the same time to get what you have in the bank, they don't have it mm -hmm. because now they've created all of this. Cause back in the day, you know, you, it was gold. You know, you had gold, there was an ounce of gold, you had a dollar, it, it matched, you know, the, you know, the, the gold at the time. And then, of course, you know, when we came into the, uh, you know, oh, no, no, long, you know, gold is no longer the standard, you know, and they, you know, the Bretton Woods, it's like that was all taken care of. It's like then basically they're free to just print and do whatever they want with the money. And the more they print, as they say, the more that's out there, the less it's worth. You start to lose your value. And so they print all this money. Because they're like, okay, we're good. And then they realize that, okay, now someone else needs money and we don't have enough money to pay our debt. So we're just going to print that 
to pay the debt or pay the interest. And then we'll keep going a little longer. And then all of a sudden it gets so high again, because as the interest of our debt is raising, the value of the money is going down. And so then like, okay, now we don't have enough to pay the interest on the debt. So we're just going to print some more and then we'll pay that. We'll pay it down, but then you have to print more. So it's, it's this constant and they're never going to meet. It's like, you can never get ahead of that. And people don't realize that it's like, you can't just, it's like when people do it, it's like you borrow money on a credit card and then it's like, okay, you borrow a hundred dollars. Now you owe 124. Well, you don't have 124. So you borrow a little more. It's like, so now you owe, you know, 200, you know, and the, and on top of that, the interest. And interest. so it's like, it just keeps getting more and more and you can never get ahead of it. And it's the same thing that they've done with, you know, fiat. It's mm-hmm. like, and they're never going to get ahead of it. And all it's doing is making people more poor than we've ever been because it's like, you know, everything is devalued. And so it's like, you know, people think it's like, oh, my house has gone up. It's like, well, not really. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's just like, it's, it's like, it purchasing right. The purchasing power has, is different. Yeah. And so they don't, they don't realize that. And because they truly don't understand that money is debt and that when you put your money in the bank and they start spreading all over the place, all they've done is devalue it. And basically it's, it's worth less every single day. Yeah, that's right. That's precisely right. And you used a phrase before, which is fiat money is just theft. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a concept we've all become very familiar with in the Bitcoin community. Yes. That not everybody is. And so that, so again, I'm going to ask you to do it in your words. How do you describe, so you've just, I mean, you've largely just described it, mm-hmm. but it, it's the reduction in purchasing power. How would you explain that concept of theft to someone if you were to expand on that? Yeah, I would, you know what, probably one of the best things I heard um, explained was from Mark Moss when he, you know, see if I can do this the right way, where he said, basically, it's like, you know, you know, you have a candy bar. And it's like, you know, okay, so, so, you know, you, you give the candy bar to someone else and it's like, you know, uh, you remember that? So I'm trying to remember how he said it. It's like, you know, you know, you give the candy bar to someone else and it's like, you know, they, you know, and you get a dollar or whatever. Well, then they turn around and give that same candy bar to someone else and they get a dollar and then they give the same candy bar to someone else and they have a dollar. And then all of a sudden all three people go, I want my candy bar. There's only one candy bar, Mm -hmm. but you've sold it three times. Yeah. And so it's like, all of a sudden, it's like, you now you have to cut it into three. So you don't get one candy bar, you get a third of a candy bar, even yeah. though you sold it to someone for a dollar, you trusted that they were going to hold on to that. And if you wanted it, you'd get the full candy bar back. But now it's been sold three times. So yeah. it, there's no longer just one. It's, you know, I mean, there's still only one, but now three people say they own it. That's what the banks are doing. I'm so pleased you brought that up. I have actually heard that analogy and I'd forgotten it. And it's it's such a great way to explain it. Um, yeah, because people can fantastic. get that when you when you explain it that way. It's like, ah, oh, that's a good way to do it. So you're hodling your Bitcoin for intergenerational wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I just had a terrific conversation with another gentleman who's done a lot of writing for Bitcoin magazine. And he's really setting up and very feels very strongly about circular economies and actually spending your Bitcoin and starting mm-hmm. to create 
a parallel economy. Mm -hmm. So there's a chance to for it to start to circulate. Yes. And um, for retailers to start to accept it, as we've already seen. Again, Jack Mellors has really been doing huge work in that area. And right. my understanding is there's a vast number of large train, uh, chains in the US that mm -hmm. are now accepting Bitcoin. Yes. What's your... I'm going to bring in some faith here. Mm -hmm. I want to bring in freedom. I want to bring in Bitcoin. What is your vision for the best and worst of what might play out over the next 10, 15, 20 years as traditional power tries to hang on to traditional power? Mm -hmm. Bitcoin is emerging. People, poverty and well, so wealth gap is increasing, poverty is increasing, living mm -hmm. standards are decreasing, people get angry. Mm -hmm. um, meanwhile, Bitcoin circular economies may be greater and greater interest adoption, institutional interest. Mm -hmm. But the, this ties in with also people's like beliefs about the world and mm -hmm. faith. So, so tell me kind of how you think about what's going on and how you, from a visual point of view, but also then like what you imagine playing out, but from a spiritual point of view, mm -hmm. what's this all about? What's going on? Yeah, I think it's... Um... You know, I think it really is, I mean, I think it's a time of crisis yeah. for sure. Um, I think we are going to overcome and come out better on the other side. Um, I think it's part of the uh, the fourth turning, which you may or may not have heard of. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we're at the point of, uh, you know, weak men. <laughs> yeah. um, because I think things have become so, so instant and so easy. Um, people have gotten lazy. Um, yep. They're entitled. They don't really want to work for anything anymore. If someone has something, they think they should have it regardless of how that person got it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think initially when all of this started to happen, a lot of people like myself and probably you were just kind of like, what is going on? You know, what, what is happening and why are the people who are supposed to be leading our countries allowing this to happen? Mm -hmm. And as you get farther down that rabbit hole, you know, whatever your beliefs are, I mean, mine are like, okay, there seems to be some coordinated effort here. Mm -hmm. um, why? You know, I don't really know because I'm like, I don't, why, why don't they let us just live our lives and do what we want to do? I don't understand the need for the control and the decisions and all of that. I just, you know, that, you know, is something I can't really wrap my head around, but um, I think it's a time for our civilization that we are going to come to terms with who we are as people, what we're going to accept, um, what we are okay with, 
how we want our children's futures to be. And I truly believe that most of the people on this planet are all in alignment for what we do want. And I think that critical mass is coming. It's mm -hmm. slower in different parts of the world based on what's going on. Um, I think the U.S. is slower to act because obviously we're, we're so large, first of all. But at the same time, there's just a different standard of living here that it takes a little longer for some of these things to affect everybody um, as far as like the rising costs, you know, and, you know, not being able to, you know, keep your business open and, and the things just take, I think they're a little slower here. Um, and I think uh, in places like in Australia, um, it's like, well, it's not kind to be unkind, you know, it's like the voices have been able to speak that are destructive. And mm -hmm. I think most of us have reached our peak where we're like, I'm done being nice. I'm yep. now gonna speak my mind. I'm now gonna stand to my ground and I am not gonna allow this to happen. And people get overwhelmed and they're like, what, am, what can I do? It's like, everything you do matters. And I think people need to realize that. It's like, when you just say no, when you just stand up for yourself and your family, when you say, I'm pulling my child out of public school, when you say, I'm not wearing that mask anymore, when you say, I want to choose how I'm going to treat my body. So the more people that do that, like they, like they say, it's like, it's not the first person who gets up to start dancing and it's not necessarily the second, but it's the third, it's the fourth, it's the fifth, but somebody's got to start it. Yep. And I think there's enough people now that have started and are putting things out on, you know, the social media going, I'm questioning this. And there's more reports coming out about things that have happened and how they've been handled and what the real science is and, you know, who's doing what and where and why and how they're all connected. Um, so I think we're on our way. Mm -hmm. um, and I think every day we're gaining more and more and I don't want to say power is not the word I'm looking for. We're gaining more momentum yep. to move, you know, our, all of our countries in the right direction. You know, that's like, you know, we are not okay with this and it's not going to happen and we're not going to let it happen. And I just, I strongly believe that. I'm wondering if it might be women like you and I of our rough age who really mm -hmm. don't feel the need to be nice anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. Who might be a big part of this movement, you know? Yeah, um, I agree. I because know. especially like you said, when it's when it's your business and it's your children. Yep. You better yep. you better have all your ducks in a row. <laughs> and women are being undermined at the moment. Yes. In many yes. Ways. Exactly. Um, and, you know, freedoms that we fought for mm -hmm. long and hard. Yes. Uh, and, you know, I've got a long history of all the women in my family have been strong women, have run their own right. businesses, have been breadwinners, yep. have been, you know, um, none of them have ever been stay-at-home mothers. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I just, yeah, I come from a tradition of strong women. And, yeah, I, and I like to say, it's like, yeah. don't mistake being quiet for complacency. Yeah. It's like, it's like, we're thinking, we're moving, we're mobilizing, we are doing things just because you don't know what they are doesn't mean it's not happening. 
Yeah, I like that. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's a revolutionary inside me. I'm sure if I had a past life, I was a, you know, I was part of the French resistance. I've always right? really <laughs> identified with that period of history, as it turns yeah. out, kind of, and the guerrilla warfare, the freedom, you know, the freedom fighters has always yeah. been a big sense of kind of my inner identity yes in your perfect world we are seeing adoption we are seeing adoption clearly mm -hmm. with the countries that are that get hyperinflation that get the the dangers of hyperinflation you would imagine that within western civilization the people who are going to cotton on to bitcoin first are going to mm -hmm. be those who are most affected by inflation, mm -hmm. um, the people at the bottom end of the rung, as it were. I heard Robert make an interesting comment re recently, actually, which is also that uh, you'll start to see the hyper wealthy allocating 1% of their portfolios to Bitcoin mm -hmm. as a hedge and 1% of a big portfolio is, mm -hmm. you know, obviously a substantial amount. Yeah. Clearly, as laws and regulations change, so Bitcoin will be able to be not only taken up by institutions, but put on treasuries. So I mm -hmm. saw that uh, Corey Clipston, is that how right. I pronounce it, from yeah. Swan, is supporting people. In fact, I think I saw this on your Twitter feed, um, helping businesses to put Bitcoin on their treasuries. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... Adoption is happening. There's 200 million wallet holders out there. Yeah. What's your, if we get through this fourth turning without completely tearing each other, each other to shreds, assuming there's something of human civilization left, yeah. it, what's your vision? I, this is a question I often ask, but I, I, I think it's that kind of, that grasping for vision and hope of what could the future look like in a hyper-Bitcoinized world? Yeah, I think um, I think it's freedom. And I think it gives more people access to having that freedom and making their own choices and living the lives that they want and having access to things that right now they don't have access to. I mean, you know, how many people in this world don't even have a bank account? You know, they can't get a bank account, you know, and, you know, anyone, anyone can get Bitcoin, you know? And so I think it's, and it take it makes people um, more honest, I think, you know, because it's like, it's, a, it's an honest form of money, you know, because people talk about it's like, oh, it's for, you know, people who are, you know, the cartel or, you know, people who are trying to hide things. And it's like, do you know who the biggest offenders of money laundering are? You know, and I just ask people, it's like, just, just do some research before you say stuff. It's like, because that to me just says you don't really understand it. So, you know, I think it actually is going to create a, a much better, a much better world force where everyone has the opportunity to participate in the life that they want, in the way that they want. If we've got more time on our hands, if we can get off the hamster wheel of having to work greater and greater hours just to pay the basics, do you think people will use it constructively, creatively? Do you think people 
does human nature have it in us to use that time well? I think for most of us, yes. I think there there's always going to be a you know a portion um, you know of humanity that just I can't even connect with them. <laughs> you know, I don't know what drives them. I don't know you know where their focus is. I, I don't understand you know their thinking. Um, but I think for most of us, because I truly think most people want to spend more quality time with their families. Mm -hmm. They want to be able to explore and travel. They want to be able to take better care of themselves. They want to be able to spend more time growing their own food, having a garden. Um, you know, I just, I think people without the level, like I said, the hamster wheel of having to just every day, you know, two, three jobs doing whatever you can just to, you know, just to be able to pay your bills and feed your family, being able to have the freedom to spend your time differently and have more quality time and support your family rather than have to be continually fighting to keep your head above water. I think that definitely is something that most people want to do. And I think also because so many families right now, sadly and unfortunately, the finances create so much stress, you know, which stress creates obviously you know, communication problems, it creates health problems, there's others, all kinds of other things that come with that. And if you don't have that financial stress, it's like all of that changes as well. What a beautiful thought that would be. I mm -hmm. love it. Mm -hmm. it feels like a lovely note on which to potentially wrap up. <laughs> Is there anything that you feel you would really you know, as some final comments, is there anything you would just like to say that you feel like you haven't perhaps given full expression to or that's playing on your mind at the moment or you would just like to get out there to the world? I think probably the only thing is that I know, like myself, you know, it can be overwhelming. There's so much going on and it's all at the same time that I think people have to, first of all, just, just trust that we're going to make it through this. And I truly believe it's going to be better on the other side and to keep pushing, don't lose hope. And if you're in a place where you find yourself surrounded by people who aren't supporting you, find people who are, because there are so many options now, you know, online and, you know, Bitcoin groups and other groups, you know, that will help and you don't have to be in person. I think just do the work to find people who will support you and surround you with the people that will help you feel like you're moving forward and you're making a difference in that, you know, they just have the same beliefs that you do. I think it's important for people to do that. They get, they get too overwhelmed and they lose hope. And I just don't think anyone should lose hope. I just know we're going to make it through this. Thank you. That's a beautiful note to finish mm -hmm. on. I'm really thrilled that you said that. Teresa, I am so thrilled that we got to meet. Um, I know, it's been fun. It's been really fun. It's been delightful. Um, just a pleasure to meet you. Um, and thank you. Thank you for taking the time to be on the show. Uh, and I really look forward to staying in touch. Yeah, thank you for having me on. All right, be well and take care. All the best. Thank Cheers. you. you too.